Hey everyone, it's Michael Antonovich with Swap Moto Live, bringing you the first episode of our midweek podcast presented by Yoshimira. This is a new property where every few weeks I'll ring up a person of interest to talk about the latest happenings in MX. For the first episode, we got in touch with Kerry Hart to discuss his ambassadorship role with helmet technology company MIPS, how improvements in protection and equipment have been accepted by other disciplines of motorcycle riding, and what he sees from his place in the industry. Have a listen. You probably already know that Yoshimira makes the best exhaust options for Honda motocross and off-road bikes, but did you know they make really great power for Yamaha, Kawasaki, KTM, Husky, and Gas Gas? Yoshimira has been delivering power since 1954 and can make your bike run and sound the best it can. Visit them at yoshimira-rd.com to see how they can make your bike bark. Your connection with MIPS has been a big thing that you have going on right now. So for people that don't know, what drew you into MIPS, which is the rotational layer that's pretty much standard in all helmets right now? You know, I, I would say a big piece of my attraction to it was, you know, I, I have been cheating father time for a very long time, right? Um, no big secret. I'm 46 years old and still actively riding dirt bikes, working with companies and still kind of have athlete on my resume. And with age, I'm dealing with so many health issues. You know, I had rotator cuff repair last year. I had disc replacement in my neck and my back this year. Uh, next year, end of next year, I'll have an ankle fusion. And the following year, I'll have hip surgery. So I'm at this point in my life where I'm having to repair, you know, injuries due to motocross. And, you know, those injuries could be due to whether it was the technology of the equipment at the time, you know, just hitting the ground really hard. And now having children now for the most part being able to have dodged you know the heavy heavy concussions which i i haven't completely dodged them but i'm not travis pastrana <laughs> but um you know I, I take these things a lot serious more serious and especially as it pertains to my kids you know and after you know I, i've always known about mips but i never really took the time to understand the technology and what they do and the effort that they put into their development and I guess, you know, with age comes just a little bit more responsibility and a little bit more understanding of how can I actually protect myself. And I want to know that every time I get on my dirt bike and I'm putting my helmet on, not only is my personal head protected as well as it possibly can be, but when my kids climb on their dirt bikes. Yeah, no, totally. I think that's a big thing, too. Even in the last, you know, in the last 10 years since you owned a team to now, you see the advances that have been made just in technology. You guys were a big partner with Fox and you were a Fox guy that rode Fox helmets your entire freestyle career, pretty much Fox or showy. Yeah. And to, uh, to see where that technology still goes through the advancements that they're still making, it's almost, um, shocking how much technology they're still able to find in, you know, carbon fiber and styrofoam still. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very fortunate time with the, the pace that and the professionals are running these days. It's great to know that the, you know, protective gear and technology is also, uh, evolving and transitioning with the, the speeds that are coming. And yeah, like you said, you know, my first helmet when I was four or five years old was a old Bell Moto 2 probably. And it was a fiberglass shell with some padding on the inside, you know, and just to understand and how, you know, people think so much, oh, you get, you get your heads banged up by just slapping it on the ground. Well, that's actually not the leading cause of head injury. It's from that inertia and the rotation of the head inside of the brain, inside of the helmet. And it's just really, really important that as, 
you know, these younger kids, like let's speak on the younger kids on behalf, the kids, the, the average nine-year-old 65 expert is light speed ahead of the, you know, me and my heyday at nine years old being one of the top little AM 60 riders. So it's just, it's just the technology needs to catch up. And luckily working with companies like MIPS and Fox, it has. Mm -hmm. You know, um, it, it's just crazy to think that it's taken so long for, for brands and for consumers to adapt to this technology. There was a comment uh, on our Instagram this week. You know, Ken Roxon had that really gnarly incident with Chase Sexton in the Whoops at Oakland. They put a photo of his helmet on his Instagram. You can see the chin bars cracked. You can see the top around the eye ports cracked there. And there was a guy that was like, hey, man, I'm still running my V3 from 2009. And no disrespect to that guy, but something as basic as helmet technology, it's not really trickled down to the consumer the same way that I think that it should have. The same way we think about, like, performance aspects of it. So for a guy like you to now see that and have a group like MIPS that wants to educate people, yeah, that's a big challenge that you guys have, but you have the science and the data and the history to show, like, hey, this is why things have to go this way. We can't, we can't be on outdated technology. Yeah, agreed. And I think that's what's very admirable about what MIPS is doing with me as well as the other ambassadors are working with. You know, MIPS isn't just leaning on the companies like Bell and, uh, and Fox and everybody else that are using their technology, but they're you know, they're working with people like us to actually go out and educate the public because I'll be completely honest with you. I mean, I knew there was a value to MIPS before getting involved with them, but until I sat down and went through all the presentations and understood the science and all the technology and, and, and data that they have behind it, it really goes to show that, you know, I'm sorry to say this and I'm sorry if I don't hurt anybody's feelings, but all helmets aren't created equal. And it is very important for, you know, general public to be educated on that you know, and even like the misinformation out there, you know, just, it's really important for people to understand like what these things are capable of doing. There's a reason like to your point with Ken's helmet, there's a reason why they do break apart like that. You know, if that thing was to stay completely intact and no stress fractures and all the rest of it, who knows the damage it could have uh, had on his head, you know, due to the technology that Fox is putting into their helmets. Mm -hmm. So it's, there is a lot of misinformation and I think more than ever with the speeds and the technology and how fast these four strokes are and how fast racers are nowadays to educate themselves on what they're using to protect their body. Mm -hmm. uh, it's good to see that motocross and off-road riding as a whole was very quick to adapt to it, you know, because if you watch MotoGP and road racing, they still are a little bit behind on the rotational impact management mm -hmm. system where the FIM, uh, the AMA, Fox, Bell, other brands, Showy with their internal systems, but really with the MIPS, everybody signed on initially and was like, we see how big rotational impact is. So very good for motocross to, to check that off. When did yeah. it kind of first get on your radar? Was this something that when you were a team owner and you saw Fox bringing in products or was this something that they pitched to you long after the fact? I mean, I mean, truthfully, this stuff all came about um, when my brother got killed from a head injury. You know, my, oh, my brother yeah. got killed racing supermoto from a head injury. And not to say that, you know, there was any flaw with what happened to my brother. I mean, my brother went headfirst into a concrete wall racing supermoto. I mean, it, it is what it is. But situations like that, you know, are what kind of get the hamster wheel going in your head. I mean, it's like anybody, if someone's running just basic knee cups, knee pads, and they blow out their knee, they're going to start looking into knee braces and ways to protect themselves. And so that's what kind of really got the machine going, you know. And then as I've gotten older in my life, you know, I don't know if it's age, overtraining, injuries, but 
you know, I feel that due to the handful of pretty serious concussions I've had in my youth kind of lead to stress and anxiety and depression and these other emotions that, you know, concussion syndrome is having a play on. So I think it was kind of like a perfect storm of a lot of things. And then as you see how fast, like I said earlier, from an AM level to a pro level, you know, these leaps and bounds due to the motorcycles that everyone's making versus, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, those are kind of the light bulbs that come on like, all right, well, am I actually completely protected? When you, okay. I, I'm really sorry that I forgot about your brother. Uh, because oh, I remember, I remember actually seeing you guys race supermoto together, you know, and, and all the yeah. stuff that you did and how, how all that stuff came about. So my apologies for that, but Oh, no stress. You know, really, dude, that, there's no better way that you take initiative than when something hits close to home the way that that does. Um, yeah. So, yeah, for you to see that and then to kind of start putting all the pieces together, have you had conversations with other guys in the industry, even if you don't want to name names, as, you know, outright or whatever, where you guys all see the importance of, hey, we had these errors in our ways when we were younger. Now it's time to start thinking about these things or I'm feeling these ways because maybe – I whacked my head way too many times back then. Like, is that something that you came to on your own or was that a group discussion that you and other guys had had? Um, it's definitely something on my own. Like I said, through, through my history of my own personal injuries and what happened to my brother, I, I think every athlete goes through their own thing on their own. You know, whether that is, you know, a neck brace, whether that's looking at better helmets, whether that's, you know, knee brace technology, boot technology. I mean, it's, when, I don't care who you are. When you hit the ground at speed and you bang something up, you're going to kind of think twice about, okay, well, how could that have been a little less, you know, impactful on my body? And how could I have done that a little bit better? Or what can I do to protect myself? So I think it's a pretty unspoken word is, you know, when you're young and dumb and full of fire and you still bounce, you don't think about these things so much. But, you know, I'm sure like with Kenny, you know, those arm braces that he runs are a big crucial part of his life now, but he never would have thought about that prior to his crash at Anaheim a handful of years ago. Mm -hmm. You know, I can remember when you really started first suiting up, you know, all the backflip attempts that you did the first one, you do it in a, you know, pretty much a short sleeve Jersey and boots. And uh, they were shorts even, weren't they? Yeah. And then when you go back to the Staples center years later, and then you're fully suited up, like fully vested to try to land the thing on the ramp, you had seen over time, yeah, hey, there's a high consequence here. So you were still pretty in an active part of your career when you noticed, hey, I need to dress for the for the crash and not the ride so much. Like, it's cool to be in short sleeves and all that, but sometimes that's not going to protect you at all. Well, exactly, and that's just the evolution of it. You know, when we were all doing our FMX fashion with, you know, short riding pants and short sleeve T-shirts, we were breakdancing on dirt bikes. We weren't, you know, doing flips and spins and all the stuff that these kids have, you know, really push the sport into. So you kind of have to prepare for the ride. You know, you're going out for a trail ride, sure, T-shirt and, you know, do your thing. But you're getting ready. If, if you're a 50-50 chance of hitting the ground at speed, you're going to want to prepare for that hit. Okay. So then um, you being such a motorcycle active guy, you see all of the ways across the board where you have to have a good helmet. You can't uh, you can't shortcut it when you get on your street bike and think, well, yeah, hey, I'm just doing 55. I can just put like a pudding bucket or a pudding bowl on my head. Like you want to dress for everything all the way across the board. How um, how well receptive is this kind of stuff in the road racing or the road riding culture where they've always just been so open face helmet forever? I think it has been embraced on that side of the fence. You know, I mean, you look to V twin and even, you know, per state, you know, some states have helmet laws, some don't. Um, but I, I, I feel that 
over the last seven to 10 years, I mean, I've been riding V twin motorcycles. My first frivolous purchase was a street bike, you know, when I first started making money. So I, I've been around the culture for a long time. And in those days it was those little, you know, novelty half helmets, you know, maybe occasionally a guy would be running like an old vintage bell open face. But I feel that over the last, I want to say like seven, probably seven years, you see people converting to full face helmets and modular helmets, you know? And I remember, you know, I, I've always ran a full face helmet regardless if I'm on a bagger or, you know, a normal smaller V twin motorcycle. And I remember some, some of the comments in the early days of, dude, you're on a bagger. What do you need a full face helmet for? But, you know, it's, I think people have caught up and I think people are more aware nowadays. I mean, we're dealing with people on the road while, uh, staring at their cell phones and not paying attention and all these other situations. So I feel that, you know, for the small, you know, for the small, thing that you have to do by getting a good quality helmet I think is resonating on the V-twin side yeah I think too um, as you said with the 65 example stuff the guys are doing on V-twins now is stuff that nobody was doing years ago the wheelies and, and things like that and that's it's been a whole other thing they're pushing those bikes to a whole nother limit than they were 15 years ago and I think with more of those guys the, the really prominent stunt bike riders that kind of sets the curve then <laughs> hey more guys want to get that simpson bandit looking helmet or a full face or something it just kind of sets the trend for everything else yeah and what i also think too is that you know with age you know as as the older generation is sort of kind of phasing out of v-twin specifically you do have this younger contingent that is coming in that probably had a motocross background or an off-road background you know so they understand how serious protecting their head for so I don't think that you're having, you know, where you ha might have this old timer, 65, 70 year old guy who's still like screw helmet laws. But then you see these 30 somethings that are like, no, full, full road race helmets or modular bell helmets or whatever it may be. I think they see the importance to it. I think it's just an age thing. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. You being a guy that's so hands on and all of it, you would see exactly, you know, what's going on me from so far removed in other parts of motorcycling. I kind of like pick it apart and I'm like, oh, okay. I kind of see where they're getting it now. Um, and just how how things get shaped out with you talking to uh, other brands, you know, the motorcycle companies that you work with, the lifestyle brands that you work with. Do they understand the importance that you have for, hey, this is the top thing that I'm going to do. It's going to be always safe. It's never just going to be selling out for a dollar. Yeah, that's what I'm very fortunate about, you know, through this sort of unplanned but new sort of career path being V-Twin and working with Indian. I, I've been very fortunate up to where I have just jumped the fence with a lot of my sponsors, you know, you know, I, I was working with Bell very early in my motocross career, you know, and I'm, I'm back working with them on just the street side. You know, we're, we're developing a couple of cool lifestyle products through Fox that will sort of, you know, focus in on the V twin or lifestyle customer. You know, I've, I've, I've been with Dunlop for Jesus, 30, 35 years now, 30 years now, I think, you know, jump the fence with them. So, I, I luckily I haven't had to sacrifice any integrity for working with brands on the V twin side of the fence. Cool. Um, with going back to the MIPS thing, seeing how big they are, seeing that it's all the way across the board, no. was there something about their product that really <clears throat> surprised you? Was there an application in the ski helmets when you walk through like a target or a Walmart and you see them in the bell helmets that are in the bicycle section back there? Was there something where you saw how big they really were other than just the testing data? Well, <clears throat> when I first started this relationship, I did about a three hour zoom call with the entire crew based in Europe and, you know, from their headquarters in their boardroom. 
And, you know, for the average person, it might have been a little boring, you know, calling a spade a spade. But I'm very curious about technology and science and how things actually work, whether it's just marketing or actually works. And just them showing me some of the videos, like the access, the equipment that they have access to, you know, doing uh, doing different crash tests on uh, sort of like a, a dummy brain and a dummy head and just really putting the science behind it as opposed to just kind of throwing darts at a board as to what they think is going to work. It really opened my eyes. Like I could never have imagined that a company would put that kind of time, energy and finances and resources into protecting the heads of dirt bike and mountain bikers and BMXers, to be completely honest with you. And that's what really kind of blew me away is the fact that these guys are this committed to keeping us all safe. I mean, it's a great flag to fly. Yeah. Um, you've done, we kind of talked about this before we got going. You know, you're pretty far past the motocross part of your career. Uh, even a couple years ago, you made that statement of, hey, I'm done riding moto into this capacity. I have to make changes. My body just can't take it. Uh, but you've stayed so relevant because of everything that you've had going on. Like you said, the connections with Fox, the connections to all these riders to your core roots to see you being still so prominent and still being a very uh, active figure in the industry. A guy like, you know, Jeremy Stenberg with DBK, who's still riding a lot, but has totally moved on past the competition element of his life. And now it's just a lifestyle thing. Jeremy just sells the lifestyle that he has. Brian Deegan does the same thing where he's past the metal militia stuff, but he's really embraced this family side. It's very cool to see how active you guys are still in the space and how much fans want to connect with you guys how important they think your opinion is you know very good of you to to capitalize on that in a good way rather than just kind of selling out and doing whatever you want to do did you think at any point in your career you would still be this active this late into it uh, i mean to answer that specific question absolutely not you know i mean unfortunately um for me a majority of my professional freestyle career, I was injured. You know, I, I unfortunately had this pretty bad uh, track record of either, you know, podium or winning a medal or leaving on a stretcher. And that was just how my career was. You know, I felt that I needed to push it and I wanted to push it and I was young and dumb and I bounced still. Um, but, you know, now at this point in my life, you know, I am so every day I know that I'm so fortunate to still be doing this for a living. And, it's funny, I was actually talking with RC uh, at this Fox event last week about this. And, you know, to this day, I genuinely love riding motocross and riding and free riding and whatever that capacity may be. You know, I don't have a gun to my head to go train and do the races that I do or go do the shoots that I do. You know, I've been a 21-year Fox athlete, and they are happy just to kind of be along for the ride for my ventures that I may do. But I still love riding and I feel that I finally have reached the point in the last, you know, maybe five years of my motocross career that I don't have a gun to my head to go hurt myself. And I don't have a gun to my head to go do a bunch of events. I don't want to. And I'm finally to the point in my life and my career where I can ride what I want to ride. I can ride the brands I want to ride. I can go do the events I want to do, you know, do the trips that I want to do. And it's probably the funnest part of my career because now when I get on my dirt bike, I'm not doing the, okay, the arms are working today. The legs are working today. Everything's working, you know, like the, the, the body check before you hit the ground. Like I go have fun, whether it's with my kids or with other Fox athletes or go lining up on a gate to go do a motocross race. There's a photo of you with uh, our test rider, Pat Foster at Mammoth. 
And I yeah. think that that's so cool because I've had this conversation with a lot of my friends. I'm, I'm in my early 30s, but guys that are late 30s, early 40s, pro racers that have gotten away and are starting to ride again, local fast guys. It's cool to see that as dudes are getting over that 35-year thing where they're not taking racing or riding motocross so seriously like it is this life-or-death thing, that they can just get back to the fun part of it the same way they did when they were kids. Just how into it they are and how rewarding it is. It's so cool to see a guy like you embrace that too. You know, it's giving you everything. It's your day-to-day life. It's your complete income in a lot of ways. But uh, you still see the fun of it as just like, hey, I get to go ride it. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny you mentioned Pat. You know, I, me and Pat grew up racing mini bikes together and, you know, chased the Supercross dream in the same era and all that stuff. And, you know, it, it's pretty fun to line up next to him on a gate 30 plus years later and still having fun and banging elbows and having a great time. And, yeah, I, I just truly love I, I love the lifestyle behind the sport. I love the camaraderie. I love the family aspect. And there's nothing to get your heart racing like getting ready for a gate drop. And I still love that, whether it's a small local event or, you know, something like Mammoth or some of the Am Days of the Nationals. You know, I will I will always do it, you know, at what capacity will pe- <laughs> to be determined on my my body and my future surgeries and my recovery. But I love the lifestyle. I'll always be around the sport. You know, my kids love riding dirt bikes. You know, I can't say I want to push them down the path of, you know, trying to do it for a living, but you know, my little guy is eager to do some races this year. I'm going to go do some Loretta qualifiers like I always do to kind of warm up for the summer, you know, uh, amateur day national stuff. He'll get some gate drops and get that experience as well. It's funny that like a couple years ago, a lot of guys that are, uh, Davey Millsaps, a couple other people had said when they had kids, they were never going to let them ride, that they would never get them dirt bikes and get them golf clubs and tennis rackets and all that. But now here, these kids are five, six, seven years old and they're on motorcycles now. Did you have that thought of like, okay, I got to kind of keep them away from this so they don't have the same injuries that I had? Or did you want them to experience everything that you've experienced? I definitely want them to have the, the open range to experience whatever they want. Um, you know, I, and there was never a point where I was like, no, dirt bikes are bad. My kids aren't going to do that. I was very adamant about it. Um, you know, both of my kids started riding, you know, within a month or so of their fourth birthday, started on BMX bikes when they were two and three. So I, I've always wanted my kids to ride. Now, if my son came to me in two years when he's seven years old and he's like, you know, pop, I want to start racing. I want to get serious about this. I'm not going to say no. I'm not going to you know, stomp on his dreams because if my old man had done that to me, who knows where my life would end up at. But at the same time too, like I'm not going to push him in that direction. I think that, you know, more than ever, especially in the era that I came up in, you know, the eighties and early nineties, it's just a totally different monster. Now, you know, you have to be dedicated. You have to be that committed. And selfishly, I want to go find, new things that my kids are passionate about that I can follow them down that rabbit hole and learn something new. Like both of my kids have been racing BMX since they were three years old. If that's their direction they want to go, then I want to chase them. I want to go to the grands and the nationals and go learn something new in that experience. Or to your point, if it's golf clubs, fine, I'll go grab myself a set of golf clubs and start go hacking around with my kids and and go on their adventure. So I, I don't think anything is taboo about motocross. I think it's character building it's a great family sport you know it's responsibility it's all these great things um you know but there is sort of a defining moment where it's like okay you can try to do this as a career or is this just going to be fun on the weekends i'm hoping to keep it just fun on the weekends okay 
totally. I, I've kind of had the same thing where when I wanted kids, I didn't know how much they were going to ride because of how many times I got hurt. And then now that I get closer to it, I can already think like, all right, well, the Honda 50 is going to be in the garage eventually. I can't wait. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's going to be so fun to do that stuff. Um, I think there is so much behind motocross for character building for kids. I mean, to this day, even through the laundry list of injuries and, you know, the small percentage of success, you know, or, or I should say financial success in motocross, I turn people on to motocross and my friends of mine, kids every day, because the character building, you know, getting to have that toughness, that true com competition where unfortunately in today's sort of landscape and dynamic where everybody gets a trophy, you have to go earn it in motocross. Mm -hmm. I think there are so many positives that come from motocross that, you know, I think it's a great building block for any kid, whether it's from a serious standpoint or just out with the family on the weekend having fun. Totally. You know, this this thing has given me everything that I have in my life, and it's it's the, the defining thing that I am, you know, just like yeah. you, where your entire income comes from being privileged enough to be around motorcycles every day. Mine is the same thing. And uh, I know that if I didn't get put on a 50 when I was a little kid that I wouldn't be in this position. Who knows what I do right now? To the same thing you said with you and your dad. If you guys didn't spend all that time doing what you did, would you be in this spot right now where you are? Um, exactly. You know, and, and it's great to hear a guy like you say that because sometimes I think the perception of people kind of gets construed of what the popular opinion is, and we kind of need to be shaken back of like, hey, no, this is fun. This is a fun thing to do. Go do it. Don't yeah. Don't get beaten down by it. Don't overanalyze it. Just go do it. Once you go ride again, all those problems go away. Exactly. Like, it, it doesn't have to be a career path. I mean, not a single one of us who has made a living as motocross did our parent buy us a motorcycle at five years old and be like, okay, we're going to get you a trainer and you're going to be pro by the time you turn 18. It was for fun. Does it frustrate as a guy with kids and how much you really care about your kids? Does it frustrate you to see that? And do you like, do you ever think, wow, these people are so missing the boat? Like you've completely went down the wrong path of it. Like you obviously aren't going to, aren't going to give them your opinion, but you know, Hey man, that's not the intent to go into this with is to get rich. Uh, uh, I'll, I'm going to start with a disclaimer. This is yeah, very, totally. a, a very sorry. touchy topic. It no, is. And sorry, I'm, my bad. I am, no, no, no. I am completely ready, willing, and able to talk freely about it. So I guess people can judge away. Um, my, I think there are so many positives. And again, keep in mind, I know just enough to be dangerous. I'm not an expert on any of these pieces because I don't have kids racing. But from the outside looking in, what I feel this sport has evolved into from an AM level, first of all, I think that it's a shame that the sanctioning bodies who are tied into amateur racing, A, would even allow kids to be homeschooled, first of all, and second of all, not to have to ha carry some element of a GPA. I mean, you look at any kind of stick and ball sports that are groomed through schools, it's about attendance, it's about school records, it's about all those things. I think for the percentages of your average am that makes it not only to the brass ring of being a pro, but even the smaller percentage who will actually retire from that career and not have to go on to something else, I think they're doing themselves a massive disservice for these kids. I mean, I've seen, and I would never say any names, but I've seen kids that can't even look people in the eye or have a conversation other than just rambling through their sponsors on a podium. I think it's a huge disservice. I don't think it's fair to the kids. I don't think these kids should be racing as intensely and that many races a year. And 
kind of robbing themselves of a childhood. I mean, look, I, I grew up in a completely different era and me and my old man barely got by. My dad was just an average construction worker. He was not rich, no matter what anybody may believe. And we did it in the back of an old beat up pickup truck with, you know, one bike, no practice bikes, no race bikes, not until I got much older. And, you know, I think one thing that's important, at least about my story was the money that I made as an adult, a small fraction of that was my motocross money. Had I just depended on my motocross money and, you know, kind of just that one dimensional path, I'd have been doing construction 15 years ago. You know, what my education, like my dad was really hard about grades. I had to have straight A's when my bikes were parked, no matter what race was coming up, where I was in my career, my amateur career, any of that stuff. So I had an education. I was even, you know, going to college for the first couple of years, you know, through fax machine and in class a little bit while I was doing supercross. I was going to community college because, you know, I knew, or at least my dad told me what I just said, small percentage are going to make it. Statistically, it's, it's way stacked against you and you're going to have to go have a job when this is all done. So I, that is the one gripe I do have about it is that, Man, I just, you know, I, look, I hope the best for all these kids that are making and, and families that are leveraging their homes and living this life and putting all their eggs in the basket of their child and helping them get to that level. But man, there's, there's a lot of failure being set up for these kids not having an education or life skills or business skills or anything other than just knowing how to ride a dirt bike. Yeah, I, uh, I cannot find one thing that I disagree on in any of that. Um, that was as a guy that lived it from your perspective and all the things that you did and being one of the elite few that made a livelihood from it. Yeah. You, you've seen it from all ends you've put back into the sport. I can't disagree with you on any of that. I think that the, uh, the same thing that goes is the bar of success has also been so skewed. Like it's raised so high and that people don't understand like, well, if you don't only just get a factory ride and if you don't retire at 27 with a you know, bunch of championships and millions of dollars in the bank, it's a failure because so many of these people have to go on to work other jobs. Like you said, you knew yeah. at a certain point in time, hey, I probably have to go do something else. I can't be a motorcycle rider forever. And then fortune strikes out, you get very, you know, uh, I don't want to say lucky because it's not lucky, but you just did everything the right way to, to be where but you are. But there is a bit of life. luck. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I would I got to say that, but I, I you know. But, um so many people think that like if you're not Cooper Webb or Ken Roxon or you or Travis Pastrana your career is a failure and it's it's not that it's all the other stuff that you find out along the way the relationships that you develop the personal skills that you develop it's not just about money and championships yeah I mean for me you know through my motocross career I mean don't get me wrong I, I cashed the checks and I you know bought some cool stuff but I was always very intrigued by okay well why is this company paying me a bunch of money to run their logos and wear their clothing? And through having amazing team managers at companies like Fox and Hurley and, you know, all the other companies I worked with along the way, I got to learn, you know, marketing and building brands and brand development and P&Ls. And I got, I got to learn all these things, which led me into starting H&H Tattoo and marketing that and starting a clothing company. And then a handful of years later, owning a nightclub and then rolling into my Supercross team, you know? Most people don't know, but I did a good majority of the contract negotiations. I did all of the budgeting for our $5 million Supercross program. I mean, I did everything myself, and I didn't learn that at the track on a weekend in between motos. I learned that through my high school and my college career and paying attention and learning. So it is very, very important you know, for the education aspect of this. And, you know, and there are a, you know, a good number of people that 
put their time in on the motorcycles and did the same thing I did, learn from their TMs or learn from the industries and went on to start PR firms or team managers or work in the industry. You know, I, I completely encourage that. I just get a little nervous about the landscape that is motocross or amateur motocross these days. Yeah, I, I can totally see on that. At what point did you um, start to realize how important learning the business side of things was going to be? Was that something that you kind of knew just because your dad had taught that in you? Or was that something that you realized like into your 20s, like, hey, I should start putting all these pieces together? Um, I was always intrigued by it. Um, you know, my dad was self-made, you know, started as a construction laborer and went on and owns his own asphalt company. Uh, I have, I feel that I have that same drive as him. And I was always intrigued by it from a younger age. But then, you know, like I said earlier, a lot of my, you know, freestyle from that 2000 on period, I was injured and not just injured, but dramatically injured a handful of times. And I had to learn quickly, like, hey, if I still want to have these relationships and I still want to keep the lights on in my house and I'm going to be off my motorcycle for the next six months, what do I have to do to establish myself as a brand and give a re, you know return on investment back to my sponsors that are investing into me and sticking by me through this period because they could easily you know fire me on an injury clause? And that's where the light bulb really kind of kicked on. It's like, and I realized at a very young age, Look, let's call a spade a spade. For the most part, we're all doing, you know, in freestyle motocross, we're all doing the same thing. You know, on any given day, the best man may win, but we're all pretty much inside of that same window. But it's how I conducted and acted off my motorcycle and the extra work I put in off my motorcycle and, you know, staying at that autograph, signing an extra 15 minutes rather than getting up from the table and leaving or, you know, doing that extra interview. I mean, those were the things that solidified my, my career. Okay, I'm looking at a gas station right now and there's this giant monster logo. Um, and it's got MC on the window of it. Why do you think that motorcycle, <laughs> motorcycles as a whole, motocross especially, has been so well received and has always been such a big cultural force? You know, my wife and I were talking last night about even in the late 90s, early 2000s, Fox stuff, No Fear stuff was everywhere. You could buy it at all of these stores, even though we think that it's kind of dwindled off. There's no baseball signage like that with Gatorade, the same way that energy drinks put us out there. Why do you think that so many of these brands use motocross as advertising so much? Um, I think under the action sports umbrella, motocross is just sort of that bigger epitome. You know, I mean, on any given day, you could call a top pro snowboarder or a skater or a BMXer or a skier or whatever, and they're either infatuated by motocross or they ride motocross, you know, or maybe, you know, going back to this older era, my era, you know, many kids had those parents that had the mini bike in the garage and they kind of started their journey, which led them into action sports or maybe more specifically individual driven sports versus team sports. And, you know, that's kind of what got that driving force, you know, I, and I think even to this day, <clears throat> you don't have to know a lot about motocross. You watch it. It's self-explanatory. It's action packed. The fastest guy wins. The first one over the finish line is the winner. You know, it's a pretty self-explanatory sport. And I just think there's a lot of loyalty to that, you know, whether it's, you know, and that's, I think that's why I'm successful in the V twin footprint, you know, because the guy that looked up to me that followed me through my freestyle career, and now he's 35 and has a wife and a kid and he's got a bagger with his wife on the back. We can hang out at events and talk about the good old days. And I can tell him what was going through my head for my first backflip. You know, I just think that motocross is sort of like that driving force that, you know, in this individualized sporting events, it's just kind of the epitome of action sports. Okay. To be at the events that you've been at in the last two, 
three years right now, uh, especially the motocross races. What are your thoughts on the boom of people that we've seen, especially as a guy with two young kids that are, you know, in some of the biggest groups and the biggest age groups that are growing right now, most bikes being sold, the most new riders, things like that. I mean, I think it's great. I think you can kind of really gauge a lot off of motorcycle sales. And I think that, you know, with the with the boom in outdoor activities, you know, whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, COVID and the protocols and everything, um, it's been a great growing factor for, you know, for motocross specifically. People are buying motorcycles. They're having to go out and get gear. They're having to go out and get parts. And I think it's just great. You know, there. I feel like there might have been a little slump there, you know, especially from the transition of two-stroke to four-stroke or whatever political reason you want to put on motocross having a bit of a slump. But uh, I think this resurgence is great. It's great for the future of the sport and just, you know, the overall uh, awareness of the sport. Okay. As a guy that's done it all, you know, rider, race team owner, all of these things, how do you see the sport right now and what kind of advice, you know, would you say that we need to look at? Like where are some, some avenues that maybe we haven't explored as far as sponsorship goes or our media attention or something like that? Where do you think like the next big growth could come from? Man, that's, that's kind of a tricky question. You know, uh, again, from just my side of the fence, in my opinion, you know, I, I haven't been at the races much since we shut down RCH due to children, but, uh, I can tell you my biggest gripe back in those days is I think the TV package does need to get better. Um, I think that, <clears throat> you know, kind of comparing apples to apples, you know, you watch the race on a Saturday night. It's a great, it's a great product. It's great racing. You know, I think Lee and Ricky do a great job, you know, so on and so forth. But I think, you know, where NASCAR has really kind of rolled the dice and done well, again, I don't watch a lot of NASCAR, but a little bit you know, they're really embracing that passion. They're following those drivers back into the pits when they're throwing helmets at each other. You know, I think there's so much more to the sport that will then attract in, you know, build, building individual riders, which the sport's good about, but, you know, they could do a better job as opposed to just another person on a team and really just showing, you know, what happens in the pits when everybody goes back and there's wrenches being thrown or what happened, you know, what actually happened between Mookie, and Muskin when they went up the tunnel, you know, like staying with it, you know, a little bit more of a pre-show. And I think ultimately, especially from selling my Supercross program for all those years, it's going to be better for sponsor dollars. It's going to be better for sponsor dollars, outside money coming in. You know, there has to be some aspect of growth because I can tell you, and I won't say the name of the company I was working with, we were working with a massive, massive company through my Supercross days. And the owner of the company was very hands-on and a very strong and sort of difficult person to deal with. And Ken would go out and win Anaheim one and I would be at my truck at debrief till 2 a.m. And I would get home and get to sleep at three and 6 a.m. There'd be a phone call from the owner of this company and expecting to pick up the phone and have it be a congratulations. It was, you know, one simple sentence. Didn't see my logo. And I'm like, Oh, well, what do you mean? Well, didn't see my logo. Yeah, but Ken won, you know. Yeah, but you know what? Couldn't really see my logo on the bike on the track. And when he came off the track and they were doing the interview, they cropped his face so tight, couldn't see my logo. Then two weeks later, Ken gets fourth or fifth, had a rough day, but they pulled him aside when he got off the track and talked about what happened through the race. I thought it was a bad night. Next morning, 6 a.m., get a phone call. Saw my logo. Good job this week. So I think that kind of goes to show that, like, there is room for growth. 
I can't tell you exactly what that is, but I think better TV package, a better, you know, better show, maybe a little bit longer show, maybe a little bit more of building the individual riders as brands, a little bit more focused on the teams. I think those things could go a long way, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you I have the magical formula. No, I, uh, yeah, I was not expecting a magical formula, but I agree on a lot of that because it seems like it comes on at, you know, seven or 10 o'clock, wherever you are, and then it goes off and there's no build up to it. There's no, there's no like post-race analysis. There's like, you have to go online to find it, but to really, uh, grab that core fans audience, especially sponsors and things like that. If, if that NBC package is so available, it's got to be lengthened on both sides to drum up interest and get people informed of the storyline follow them through the race, build the guys up when things are over, really explain what happened rather than, than just like checkered flag flies and we do podium mm-hmm. interviews and then it's off. Yeah. You know, and I think really from the general public, you know, com- kind of comparing apples to apples, I think what was so successful about the free, the early freestyle motocross days was the popularity in the videos. Yeah. A piece of it was the writing, but a bigger piece of it was people got to become fans and identify with or, or be intrigued by me or Seth or Metzger or Deegan because of our personalities. There's just, I don't feel that there's just enough personality being shown through. It's more about, you know, factory KTM, here's your writer roster, you know, factory gas gas. And it's not really building the individual or I think it could just be done a lot better because for the general public, it just is getting into motocross. Perfect example is my two kids. If my two kids could see more about Bam Bam and his persona and more about Mookie, they might gravitate to that one writer to tune in each week to see how he's doing. Like right now, my son and my daughter, I kind of have to force them. They'll watch motocross with me, but it's just the motorcycles going around a track and I have to explain all the ins and outs of it. And they're not really emotionally involved with it yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, and you're right too, because look at what MC did when they made Jeremy just a figure in the sport, his legacy builds on 30 years later. You know, that kind of stuff works. It it totally works. And the Rossi thing, Valentino Rossi did the same thing in MotoGP. You know, he was the figure of the sport that people wanted to follow on and off the track and all of that. Yeah, completely agree on that. Well, hey, Gary, thank you. uh, Thanks for the time. This was great to talk about. You know, sorry if it was a little disjointed there at at any point. but. uh, you know, it's cool to hear a guy like you uh, be so still involved, see things for what they are, not be jaded or beat down. You know, I'm you've ridden the highs and lows of this just as much as anybody has. Yeah. But to know that, hey, this is still where my passion is and this is still what I want to do and I still want to be part of this industry with brands, um, with your kids and, and in the ways that you are. It's awesome to see because we – we really need that connection, those lifelong people that ride motorcycles, not to just think that this is a five-year hobby that they're going to get out of when their kids age out of it or when they age out. No, absolutely. I mean, I've, I've been eat, sleep, and breathing dirt bikes since I was four years old, and it's not going to change for me anytime soon. I still, If I'm not at a race, I tune in every Saturday. I'm a fan of the sport, first and foremost, and I just think there's so many great things with this sport. And, you know, look – in any capacity, whether it's today at 46 or 10 years from now at 56, I hope I'm still involved in the industry, working in the industry and being a part of the industry. And if not, I'll be a fan of the industry.